baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Amy Marks Coors, Chris Ranji on KMOX. No. No Amy Marks Coors today. She is off, baby, um, because normal people take off on a day like this. They take off work, and if you walked around this building, nobody's here except for Brad Young and me, Chris Ranji. Exactly. And I, I thought, actually, I thought you would be in Chicago today with your second family. My second family? Yeah, you, you know, your about secret that. family that you've got in Chicago that you keep on the side. That's what I, I was shocked when I when I was asked to come in today. I thought, what? Why isn't Chris in, in Chicago with his other family? It would actually be my first family because I don't have one here. <laughs> I mean, I have my, you know, the elder family, but there's right. no like, you know, family. I don't don't walk into a house with kids and a wife. Well, I, I had a friend of mine who uh, would travel during the week, and he would travel to Denver from Monday through Friday, and then would come home on Friday and the weekends. And I accused him for years of having two different families uh, because I said, you got a family in Denver, and you got a family in St. Louis. He had a wife and kids here. And um, uh, it, it, and maybe I was hitting a little too close to home because after a while he started saying, oh, let's, let's talk about something else. <laughs> like, well, you're just confirming my suspicions, dude. <laughs> when, when people get angry, mm, that's, that's defensive. So you probably should take a look into his life, really. Um, Brad Young, again, gonna we're going to hang out till 1 o'clock today, and then it is Best of Dave Glover at 1, 1.30. There is the first ever Black Friday NFL game, and it's going to be a thing now. So yeah. there's and Jets you, and Dolphins. What do you think about that? I think it's great. I See, I do too, because typically on Black Friday, for the people that aren't shopping, you've got to be doing something. And I love the idea they're having a football game. Yeah. Uh, I, I have three daughters. And when my daughters were younger, uh, I always told them, when you turn five, I'll take you to Chicago and we'll go to the to – the, uh, American Girl doll store. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in there and I got three different times because I had three daughters. So I did this three different times. And every time I went in there and I would see all of these dads looking like uh, the last of us. They were looking like <laughs> zombies. Okay. And so I went up to the manager. Uh, there was a guy who was running the place. And I said, listen, I've got a million dollar idea. I'm not expecting anything for it, but it's going to make you an enormous amount of money. And he said, what's that? I said, here's what you do. In the American Girl doll store, you have, you call it the concierge sports club for dads. And you charge a cover fee of 50 bucks. 50? And, and then. Okay. And then you have overcharged drinks. And I said, here's what's going to happen. The dads are all going to go in there because they don't want to be shopping for some American Girl doll. They don't want, but they got to take their kids there, right? So they're, they're, they're going to pay the cover. They're going to pay for the overpriced drinks. And then when you get them liquored up and they go back with their kids, they're going to buy more dolls. I said, you're going to be making money on every end of this deal here. And the reason why I bring this up is to some extent, I think that's what we've got on Black Friday football because you've got dads that maybe not. And listen, I'm not going to go out and stand in line three hours to get a $50 doorbuster. There's no circumstance where I'm ever going to do that. But I'll sure watch a football game on Friday afternoon. You See, bet. Now- 
I think this is a really good idea. I think the $50 cover is a little steep. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, you that's can where, negotiate. I, mean, I, I see where your head is, $20 though. cover, okay. I mean, well, 20, look, here's what I'll tell you. I will pay for the overcharged drinks, the overpriced drinks. I'll right. pay for that. I ain't paying no damn cover. Yeah. I do it. Although, it could get to the point where you're dead and you're in this store and you're like, okay, uh, whatever it costs, get me out of here. So maybe that's what you're hoping? Yeah. I, that it's I, desperation? Because I, I thought, listen, I would have paid a $50 cover because I'm going insane looking at all these different American Girl dolls. It's a great idea. You go in, you watch the Jets-Dolphins game. You can. We're going to have it here on KMOX, by the way. So um, I love the idea of Friday football because most normal people have taken off work today. Mm-hmm. The only people who are working today are those who care. So you and me. That's right. We care. Drew, Drew Frank. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Hancock all the and Kelly. They Hancock were in. And Kelly, know, they care. Brad Choate, Sean Malone. Absolutely. Um, Scott Jagow. Those are the people who care. Everybody who's working today is the, the those are the people who believe in the mission of the job they they have. And, Everybody and, else doesn't yeah. care. And it's not just caring. I made this point yesterday at Thanksgiving that when when you're thankful for something, there has to be an object of your thankfulness. In mm-hmm. other words, you can't just be generally thankful. That's a meaningless word salad. But you're thankful to someone, for someone, about someone. There yep. has to be a an object for your thankfulness. But you and I are here today because we care about the listeners. That's we, oh, the yeah. object of our yes. caring yeah. are the listeners. And we don't look. We're not sitting here asking for your praise. We're not. We're not asking for any sort of, of awards or anything or recognition. We don't need that. No, of it's not, not about that. We just. We just want you to know that we know that you know how much we think you're important to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Supreme Court term uh, yes. starting today. I know you're excited about this because it, it it is. It's fascinating considering the amount of cases and really how consequential. Um, the Supreme Court has been especially, well, I mean, it has been obviously in history, but the last year has gotten a lot of attention with the um, the major events that have occurred. Um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, for example, is probably the greatest example of it. It has been really consequential, and it's going to be consequential again this time around. Oh, it's going to be enormously impactful, Chris, and just for a couple of like, for example, a couple of cases that, that I think are not only going to impact us as a, as a country, but the dialogue about this will have an impact on the 2024 election. Yep. For example, one of the cases, uh, it's Linky versus Freed. It's a, it's a case where can politicians who have social media accounts, can they block, block people? Yes. And to me, I think that's enormously important because as our culture has shifted, to now where uh, every major politician, every major uh, office holder, government official, they all have their own web pages or they all have their own social media accounts. And they intermix using both uh, personal information and uh, public information. In other words, here's about me and my family. We're celebrating Thanksgiving. Okay, that's personal. But they're also using it for policy decisions. Can you block someone? And to me, that's a quintessential First Amendment right. If you're trying to engage or have dialogue with a politician and you're blocked, to me, that just that just runs afoul of the First Amendment. And that can have direct impact on this election, whether it's Trump or Biden or somebody else, in terms of how people can post on their social media pages. It could be very important. So let me ask this question. 
I agree with the general sentiment that a politician should not block an average person from being able to talk to them directly. So whether it's um, uh, talking via mention or direct message, whatever it is, I think that that should be allowed. However, when do we get to or do we get to a point where that is no longer me criticizing you and offering my my thoughts as a citizen when do you cross from that into harassment? Because I'm no longer criticizing. I'm now just harassing you with with bombarding you with messages. And some of them, many of them are either, well, threats are different. But many of them don't have anything to do with what we're talking about. I'm just flooding your inbox. Right. Does that matter? To me, it, it matters not necessarily for the content of the harassment, but the position of the target of the harassment. Here's what I mean. If Chris Ranji, if you've got uh, a, an X page and someone is harassing you, then at that point, that person has no First Amendment right to tell you everything that they think about you, even including questioning your parentage. Okay, they they have no First Amendment right to do that. That can be blocked. Private companies can do that. It doesn't involve the Constitution in any way. But if you're the president, if you're a governor, if you're a mayor, and now you're saying in my official position as a holder of government office, if you're uh, continuing to post messages, I'm not talking about threatening because threatening, again, as you mentioned, different. Is, uh, is different. Now you're you're venturing into criminal category and there are laws to deal with that. But if I'm just saying every day, if I post on there, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're mm-hmm. an idiot every single day, and that gets blocked, now you're, you're using the government and the power of the government to block someone's speech. So to me, it's more about the position of the target of the harassment than it is about the harasser. What about these laws? And I don't know how much you've paid attention to these, but in 2021, um, laws were considered by Texas and Florida, which would have, uh, they would have been able to create legislation to, require platforms like YouTube and TikTok and Facebook to moderate in certain ways, um, social media platforms, whether they could basically control how social media companies operate, which could have national ramifications because if it it goes through in Florida and Texas, well, then other states are going to adopt similar ideas or could. Should that be considered? Well, and and that's at the Supreme Court this term as well. Yeah. And and the way I break that issue down is, uh, first of all, I have to say, uh, as a conservative, to me, there's no question that conservatives have been squelched on many social media platforms. There's no question about that. Having said that, having said that, if you look at the state of Florida responding to that obvious censorship and the state of Texas responding, to me— that gets into the area of what we just spoke about a moment ago. You have got a government that's telling a, a media outlet, this is what you can say, this is what you cannot say. And from my perspective, legally, that's just as wrong for Texas and Florida to say, private company, you're not allowed to censor political beliefs with which you disagree. To me, that's just as wrong as as... Um, forcing someone to speak. The government can't force you to speak. The government can't control your speech. Private companies, 
uh, are like individuals in that sense. So to me, legally, I have enormous problems legally with Florida yeah. and Texas position. While I understand it, I understand the sentiment behind what they're doing. What they're doing, to me, runs afoul of the Constitution. Yeah, and I have a disagreement with you on conservative speech being stifled on these platforms because, for example, Facebook, if it, at any given moment, if you look at the data, anywhere between seven or eight of the ten most shared stories in a, at a given time are a lot of times from conservative outlets. So people are seeing it on Facebook. I have up up even until Elon Musk taking over, I see a lot of conservative speech on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter a lot. So I don't know if I that well, idea that conservatives are being um, you know, they're 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 being prevented from speaking their minds on these platforms. I don't find that to be true at all. Well, let me give you a, gr- a perfect example of sure. this. Uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. When the Hunter Biden laptop story first broke, I my position on it was I don't see how this is relevant to anything. Uh, Hunter Biden is not an elected official. Um He's a private citizen. He's the he's the son of the president. But beyond that, beyond the 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 issue of, oh, it looks bad for the family. I don't see that it's a big story. As that story progressed, the New York Post reported that multiple instances of the, the Biden administration informing. And in fact, there's been evidence from Elon Musk that the Biden administration paid money to then Twitter to make sure that they kept that kind of information off of Twitter prior to 2022 election. Well, that's just flat-out censorship. And so uh, that is directly, that's politically motivated censorship. Also with the lab leak theory from China, uh, that was mainly driven by conservatives, that the, the coronavirus came from a lab leak and it didn't come from natural causes. That was being censored. Uh, for another example, I, I was filling in over on our sister station during the height of the pandemic. I was filling in for Annie Fry, And I casually, I didn't make a statement. What I said was, I remember my words exactly. I said, how does it work with masks if the coronavirus itself is smaller than the fibers in a mask? How effective or how does that impact the effectiveness of masks? And we got kicked off of Twitter. I mean, sorry, we got kicked off of YouTube for simply me making that statement. So not only do I know that it's happened specifically on a national level, it's happened to me. Now, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, in fact, I just got my last booster last week. Good. I wore masks. Uh, I'm, I'm, listen, yep. I'm, I'm so vaxxed, I probably glow at night. So I'm not— I think you look great. I'm not, oh, yeah, well, thank you. It's, it's the hair. You're jealous. That's right. But, um, uh, and of course, I'm bald. You can't see that. Yeah. But— uh, uh, but my point is, is that there was active steps to remove people from social media, uh, and I, I think that's wrong, whether it's right or left. That's Brad Young. I'm Chris Ranji. 314-436-7900. You can join the show today if you want. We'd love to hear from you. It's Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Brad Young and Chris Ranji today on KMOX. Amy is off work. Uh, Texter actually asking the question, how much vacation time does Amy get with multiple uh, question marks? Well, question mark, exclamation point. That is a great, great question. 
And like I said at the top of the show, Amy gets six months of vacation a year. Wow. So, yeah. Where do I get that gig? Six months of vacation. That's I don't know crazy. How you do it, man. Wow. It's uh, she negotiated some extraordinary deal, which I think is fantastic. Um, a texter wants to know, Brad, how many particles travel in a straight line through holes in the mask? That's what they. <laughs> that's what they want to know. And I guess what they're saying is. Uh, well, I mean, it does something, right? A mask. Yes. Even if you have a bad one, right. it will do a little something. And right. I think that was the point. Well, the point and the point that I was making when I got kicked off of YouTube was that not that I'm an anti-mask. I, listen, I wore masks yeah. like crazy. I uh, wore them everywhere. I didn't object to it. Uh, I wore them, didn't like it, but nobody does. But my question was, we were being told that that masks at the time were were highly effective. Yeah. And my question was, are they highly effective or are they somewhat effective? And certainly if someone coughs or sneezes, uh, there will be particles that will go through. But even with some kind of a mask on, it would it would limit the distance that a cough or a sneeze sure. would travel yeah. because you've got a physical barrier. Yeah. But it wasn't the end all. And, and I just felt like we were being told that uh, that masks were highly effective when, in fact, there was no data to suggest that. Oh. And then when the data came out, it showed that they were somewhat effective. Yeah, I think the idea is if people are doing it and everybody is participating in it and you're wearing it right, it's it's going to be effective. It's going to cut down on the amount of virus that you get. And I, I, I don't I never really understood the pushback against it. Other than just it's political, it became political, and it should never have been political. This should just be a thing. Every now and then, an event happens to us where we should should collectively go, okay, what do we have to do to get out of it? What do we have to do, and let's just freaking do it, and let's not bitch about it. But well, I think we are so inclined to complain about everything. And some people, may let's, let's be honest, there are some pundits who make a living on being the contrarian and, oh, and going going against what the common thought should be. And it's very lucrative for them specifically. Yes. And people fall for it. But, but the focus that I had during all of COVID was not so much the efficacy of masks, because, again, I wore them, didn't yeah. complain about it, yeah. not about the efficacy of vaccines, because, again, I'm fully vaccinated, but about how do we handle... Even in an emergency situation, how do we handle the um, the growth of government regulation and control? And is it constitutional? So, for example, in Nevada, Nevada said we're going to close all churches in order to prevent the spread of COVID. But it didn't apply to casinos. So and you look at it and you say, well, of course, they're not going to close casinos because that's where they make their money. But from a, a medical standpoint, Casinos were far more of a cesspool of of uh, trading viruses because you would have 5,000 people in a casino and they're drinking and they're gambling and they're eating and they're not wearing masks. And that would be far more of a contagion than would any church. And so why would churches be closed but casinos be open? So, Or even right here in St. Louis County whether or not the county executive had the legal authority to impose mandates. So I wasn't opposed to mandates per se. What I was opposed was the government overreach in their attempt to make us safe. 
That's Brad Young. I'm Chris Ranji. We do have Mike Claiborne coming up after the 1130 news. Um, the news that we are getting now is that the hostages that have been released earlier today, the IDF now says they are back in Israel. So 24 hostages released today. Still more to come over the next few days. Don't know the numbers of, of how many each day are coming, but a total of 50 we expect to be released. So we'll get an update at the bottom of the hour with the news here coming up in a few moments. Then Mike Claiborne, he'll talk some ball with us when we come back here on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Amy is out, but Brad Young is in. I'm Chris Ranji. Uh, it's time to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line this morning. We're going to talk a little off-season baseball and more with Mike Claiborne, part of the broadcast here on KMOX with uh, John Rooney and Rick Horton. What's going on, Claibs? Happy day after Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday to you. And same to you and Brad. Um, hopefully, you guys had a good day yesterday. It was great. Are you um, are you out and about trying to catch deals? No, I don't do that. No, I uh, I did all my shopping online. You're a big. Uh, I, I'm not a big. I'm not a crowd person when it comes to that. I know some people think it's a tradition and they have to be in the action. I'd be. I would be much more comfortable just sitting on my couch. Are you happy to pay full price? Um, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, they, they say there's a deal somewhere to be found. Uh, I, I was never taught to to buy because it's a holiday. You know, you buy because you want it and, you know, you go from there. I mean, you don't circle a day on the calendar to go, to go get, a, get a gift for somebody. If you want to give them, a, give them one, give them one, but don't don't wait till a certain day. I always circle a day to buy a gift for somebody. It's whatever day their birthday is, because I always wait until then. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the whole other thing where, you know, people get caught up in uh, that's probably I'm probably not going to be sitting at that table. Mike Claiborne, it is a uh, baseball off season. It has been for the Cardinals. A couple of signings this week. They pick up Kyle Gibson. They bring back Lance Lynn. Tell us what you think. Well, I think it's a safe move. I mean, you know, this team needed a little bit more experience. Maybe a little. I, I've always thought Lance Lynn was kind of like the rusty nail you need to have in your clubhouse. Uh, been there, done a lot, done a lot in his career. Um, is, is he the is he the savior? No. Is Kyle Gibson the savior? No. But they can certainly add to what you're looking for. I mean, those these guys they make starts every week. Uh, they'll give you what they have. And I think they'll give them a different look. So it really puts the team in a position where, okay, they've addressed a couple of issues for, you know, good money, not great money. So they now are in a position to really go for it on a, on a legitimate upgrade as far as starters are concerned. And you can still do that via the free agent route, or you can go out and make a trade, or maybe you go across the pond and bring over a, there's a couple of good pitchers in Japan that certainly are going to garner a lot of attention. So, 
you, you have multiple options here on how you can improve your ball club, but I will say this, and I've said it to you before, you ought to start thinking about your bullpen too because your bullpen wasn't very good last year uh, for a lot of different reasons, but you have to make sure you shore that up and you need some experience out there. So there, there's still some work to be done, and as Mo said earlier in the week, uh, you know, we're not done. So let's just sit back and be patient and see where it goes. Mike, from your perspective, and I'm not I'm not asking you about specific people. There's a lot of names being thrown around, so I'm not looking at that. But but in terms of an off season, a successful off season, what would you like to see? In other words, at the at the end of the day, what will it take for Mike Claiborne to say, you know what, we did good on this off season? Um, you have to get a, another front line pitcher, and you need three arms in the bullpen. Uh, now whether they come from internal. I don't know, um, because you need competition. I think you have to go into spring training actually competing for jobs as far as pitching is concerned. So I would say you need at least three, if not four more pitchers, one being a starter and the others being out of the bullpen. So if that, you do that, yeah. if you do that, I think you can go into spring training feeling like you're moving in a positive direction. Now, that, that doesn't mean you won't show up some other positions on your team, but that's going to be secondary. Do you, when you look at the offense going into next year, do you, should we just assume that it's probably going to be about what it was last season? And, and the reason I ask that question is you still do have a young player in Jordan Walker. They expect to, yeah. you know, take a leap forward. But you've also got two players who are the heart of your order in Arenado and Goldschmidt, who they're getting older. You know, so then they were productive last year, but there's going to be a point where that starts to decline. Should we just expect the offense is going to be about what it was last season? Uh, yeah, I think it it has the potential to be better because I don't think what we saw as far as your regular eight, I don't think you'll see that regular eight this this upcoming season, uh, especially if you're going to have to use a player or two in order to get better pitching. So I think you have a nucleus of Arenado and Goldschmidt and Walker and, and Mason Wynn, you know, but then you start to look at the second tier of players, whether it's Donovan, Edmund, um, Burleson, you know, you have some guys that are going to attract some interest. So you're not going to have in Tyler O'Neill. I mean, you know, although I don't know if he'll be part of this for next year, you know, it didn't go well for him last year, but I think overall you're going to probably see, of the starting eight, probably five to six guys we had from last year, and I think you'll see some other new faces. We're, of course, talking to Mike Claiborne, and Mike, thanks for joining us this morning uh, here on the Chris and Amy Show, but talking about the catching position. We know, obviously, Wilson Contreras is going to be back in that position, but there's been some uncertainty now about his backup, uh, and we saw in the past year that, that Wilson needed some backup, particularly when he was changing to a designated hitter position or for whatever reason wasn't in the game. Uh, how are the Cardinals going to be covering the backup Cardinal position, uh, at least, for, I'm sorry, the backup catcher position? Well, one of the top prospects is Yvonne Herrera. Uh, we saw him briefly last year, and he, he was really he was really better than what we saw in the previous year. So I think you'll see him get maybe 40 games. And I think what you'll see, and maybe even more than that, because I think you can play them both. You can DH Wilson Contreras against certain people and maybe have Herrera face left-handers. Um, and he'll get plenty of playing time. So, you know, because one of the things you have to remember, Wilson Contreras is not a 150-game catcher. You know, he's probably somewhere between 110 and maybe 120. 
So that means there's going to be some ample playing time for Yvonne Herrera. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, we, what we saw from him last year was a significant improvement from the previous season. So I'm looking forward to watching him get more playing time. Talking with Klaibs, and uh, I, I'm curious about Daniel Descalso coming back to the organization. He is now on Great the bench. Move. Yeah, he's Great on the bench move. as a coach. What? A, yeah, well, yeah. obviously you like it. Love it. Uh, a very versatile player when he was here. He, he wanted to get back into coaching. Uh, very observant. I mean, he, you know, he did a lot of things right. He, you know, he was kind of a precursor to Tommy Edmond. I mean, he, he's a ball player. I mean, he understands the game. A uh, very bright guy, and I think he'll be a, a real asset to the team. And also a guy who who had a, a rusty nail approach. I mean, he was a tough player, and I think he's going to help this ball club a lot, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. What about Yadier Molina uh, being a part of the Good staff or, or eventually a, a manager? I know that uh, according to his brother and uh, talking to Polo Asensio about it, he wants to be a manager someday. Well, I wish him the best. I mean, maybe maybe he will turn out to be a manager at some point. Uh, what they do with him this upcoming season, I have no idea. Uh, you know, we've heard different things about him being part of the coaching staff and you know, I, I think one of the things you have to take into account, coaching today in Major League Baseball is not a nine-to-five job. I mean, you see coaches showing up at the ballpark at noon for a 7 o'clock game, uh, and they're there after the game. So it, it takes a lot of time, and it takes its toll on people. So I think before we start signing people up, they need to understand that this is a different role than it was as a player. And if he's able to do that and find some middle ground where maybe he's around part of the time, and, and sticks his head in the door to make sure things are moving in the right direction. That way he can learn that element of what managing is all about. Now, he's managed uh, in Puerto Rico and in some other countries in the offseason, so it's not like he doesn't know how to do it. I think at this level, I think the big challenge, I think for any young new manager, is dealing with the media because now you're so accessible. I mean, you talk to the media like four times a day. And, you know, it can be a little bit of a challenge, especially if things aren't going well. And that's one of the great things about Oliver Marmo. He was very good at that. And, you know, I've seen guys who have short, had short life, lifespans as a manager because they didn't understand how to deal with the media. And I'm not saying that's right, you know, because I, I think that it's a challenge for the media to deal with managers. But I think overall, there's got to be the middle ground between the two. And if you can really have success with that, it's easier to do your job. And it has to be part of the job now because people... Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are a lot of casual sports fans, but then again, there are a lot who aren't, who want every bit of information they can get about the team they follow, which means, and it requires people to ask questions of the manager. Why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I think it's really important that you have to be able to handle that because it's it's multiple times a day. You know, you're you're answering questions prior to the game, and then you have to do it after the game, and you better be good at it. Yeah, you better have an idea. And in this day of analytics and, and its impact, you know, the numbers don't lie in a lot of cases. And, you know, you have some managers who live and die by the numbers. Then you have other managers who watch the game and apply the analytics as a tool. And But at the end of the day, as you mentioned, people will ask you, why did you do that? And you better have a pretty good answer, and analytics kind of supports a lot of the answers that you, you may give, but you also have to have a feel for the game. And I, and I see a lot of guys who miss that boat.
One more thing before we say goodbye here, Klaibs. Uh Howie Rose, who is the Mets play-by-play announcer, he sort of set Twitter off for a momentarily because he said, um, hearing there could be Otani news today. Then he said, wait a minute, may not come today. That might might have been premature. But people clearly want to know where he's going to go, where Otani will end up. What do you think? Um, I don't have any idea. Uh, and the reason why I say that, because you hear well, he never play on the East Coast because the games would come on at 8 o'clock in the morning in Japan. They say, well, he wouldn't play in the Midwest because the weather's too iffy. They say, well, he couldn't play in Seattle because he doesn't want to play in the shadow of Ichiro. So that limits them to the Angels, the Dodgers, the Padres. Now the Padres, they lost their owner recently. So maybe financially their situation might change. The Dodgers are always in the hunt like the Yankees are. So, you know, I I don't know. And I don't think most people, I would say 99% of the people who who come up with these rumors, they don't know either. I think we just have to sit back and see how this thing is going to work. He's going to make a lot of money somewhere. But I, I also wonder when you go to these teams, you better make sure there's some other good players around you. Now, he had some good players in, in, in Los Angeles, but they were always hurt. So if you go to the Mets, you look at them, and they've, they've got some issues elsewhere, new manager as well. So I'm just not sure. Um, but there's a lot of argument on why he can go here and there, but I'm going to wait like everybody else to see what happens. Klaibs will talk to you next week. All right, you guys have a great week. And uh, now, are you guys going shopping today, or how's that going to work? Ah, hell no. Come on, man. Good for you. I don't <laughs> feel like getting in no fights today. No, man, you're a lover, not a fighter. That, hey, that's exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. Thank you for, for noticing. Well, it's worth getting around about you. That's, that's the Hey, issue, man. So. Hey, man. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to pick a fight. I'm not, right, man. No. I'm not finding anybody. Not today. You have a really good weekend. You too. Mike Claiborne, my guy. We'll see you next week, next Friday. Uh, I can't believe it's Friday. It doesn't even feel like Friday, but it no, is Black it Friday. I got Brad Young in with me. Amy's on vacation for the 57th time this season. Wow. This year. This season. What are we playing? Baseball? <laughs> this season. Brad Young, Chris Ranji uh, on KMOX. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. Drew Young has has somehow managed to find my least favorite Christmas song ever. What? It is I hate this song. So I love Christmas music. And I'm glad that we're now finally in the time where people generally accept it. Um, because I think it's good on November 1st. I think it's Christmas season starting November 1st, but a lot of people disagree. And we're playing Christmas tunes, and Drew finds the one I hate. I don't understand you, Chris. It's so what bad. What in the world? It's it is so, the greatest. And by the way, I have a Dolly Parton take that is not going over well. So we'll get to that next hour. It's not... It's not going over well for me. So uh, Scott Jagow is in from the newsroom. Brad Young in for Amy. I'm Chris Ranji. And you talked to Stu McMillan, our guy in the newsroom, your our other guy in the newsroom, about violent Christmas films. Well, no, it's about movies that are not considered Christmas movies because everybody knows the same, you know, the Miracle on 34th Street and The Christmas Story and It's a Wonderful Life and those are all lovely. But I'm talking about if you want an alternate choice, you have to look a little deeper. These movies that we're talking about all have Christmas scenes in them that are wonderful in, you know, sometimes a little bit of a violent way. Let me give you an example. Uh, 
The Godfather is a Christmas movie. They have an amazing Christmas scene where Michael is walking with Kay. Don't spoil on it the for sc- me because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't want to get kidding? into this. You've no, never sorry, guys. Let's not well, make I this gotta, a I whole have, thing. I, well, I don't even want to. Never seen The Godfather. I'm going I know. To. I know. This is like I'm going to. Oh my no! I we swear have to take his, We have to make his, a thing his, out of that. Yeah, his <laughs> dude. Oh, his dude chip movie. has just been removed. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm going to. I promise. Okay. But I'm going to finish my scene here just because it doesn't ruin the movie to say this. But anyway, so th- they're walking, there's snow falling and Christmas music playing. And then they cut to Luca Brasi putting on a flak jacket. It's amazing. It is amazing. That's one. So I have two mafia movies. Goodfellas is also a Christmas movie. They have a Christmas party at the bar and it, they walk in. They just pulled off the heist and mm-hmm. Jimmy's standing there, Robert De Niro. And they're wearing fur coats, and they have a pink Cadillac that they just bought out front. And Jimmy goes ballistic because they're spending the money from the heist on flashy things. I know the scene. It's great. And Christmas music's playing in the background. And my final one is Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah. Awesome Christmas movie because uh, the drill sergeant character, who was actually a drill sergeant in real life. Ermy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds yes. right. He passed away in the last couple of years. Lee Ermy. Yeah, That's he it. was amazing. That's and it. and there's a scene where it's Christmas Day, and he sings Happy Birthday to Jesus, and yeah. then says, you know, this whole spiel about how they're going to get rid of communism, you know, through the Marines, yeah. and it's beautiful. What See, and I appreciate that, okay, <laughs> you're not necessarily calling movies like Die Hard, and by the way, Die Hard, the Christmas movie, is my least favorite debate in history. Um, at least you're acknowledging that it's just because there are Christmas scenes in them, but they're not necessarily Christmas films. I know that, but I'm just but having fun with the idea yeah. of it. And I appreciate you acknowledging it because <laughs> I, uh, the Die Hard thing, I can't stand it. I can't do it anymore. It's just simply not. It's not. It, it takes place around Christmas. But it isn't about Christmas. No. And there's a difference. And none of these are. And you are. acknowledge that. I, yeah. Thank you, Scott. It's more fun, though, to talk about it as a Christmas movie. Sure. And, and also the theme of, of violence and mafia. I mean, you know, when these people, when people write these films, you know, they're like, well, let's put a Christmas scene in there in between all the murdering. I like <laughs> so, it. So, I mean. It does break things up. But see, my my middle daughter and I, every year, in fact, we're, we're, we're picking our date now for next week. Where we watch Die Hard as a Christmas movie, okay. so we we do every. It's a tradition in some every, families. I'm, it, it, I'm happy it, it, you're <laughs> happy. I'm happy you're happy, but okay. Uh, so speaking of movies, for my roaming St. Louis this week, I went to a place that most people probably do not know exists. You mentioned it in the hallway earlier. And you didn't know I what no it was. Idea what you're talking about? It's called the Arcaden Movie Theater. It is in Bevo Mill. It's spelled A R K A D I N, pronounced Arcaden, and it's a married couple who opened it a few months ago. I mean, they kind of opened it before the pandemic, but obviously they had to put it on hold. But it's a 50-seat movie theater, and it has an outdoor theater as well for the summer months. And they have these amazing events. One of them is called Drinkless Cage. It's their most popular event. It is a drinking game while you watch a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> and they have rules specific to the movie. Okay. So it could include screaming, it could include certain lines that he says, and then you have to drink. It's so popular, the tickets sell out in like five minutes. So you have to be ready to pounce when they open the tickets for that. Uh, Some other things they do, they do a silent movie night 
they also have a, a night where everyone brings in a tape of some movie or documentary or something, and they all and everybody votes on what they want to watch. So whoever has the most votes, <laughs> they play that tape. How fun! Like Isn't that, that fun? That's fun. Isn't That's it cool? Great, that is a great idea. Great bar. They have a, a they have paint, an outdoor they have and they an have outdoor? an outdoor theater too. Okay. They have a painting in the lobby of Nicolas Cage and Orson Welles having a cocktail together. It's a painting, obviously. But yes, yes. It's beautiful. That's great. How'd you find out about it? I got a tip. I got a hot tip. Okay. I don't want to reveal my sources. Uh, exactly. But. You, don't, you don't have to do that. <laughs> the so, Arcaden Theater. Yes. It, so, it's great. So it's not like take a shot every time Nicolas Cage screams, right? Uh, it's something along those lines. Wait, is there is that a drinking game? Well, it, this is Drinkless Cage is the name of the drinking game oh, that they I, do at the theater. I was asking if the one that Drew's talking about is a common uh, drinking game. Okay. It no, this, be, that's, that's, I'm sure that they keep it to a, a, a limit, you know, in terms of how many times you have to drink so that you don't have a bunch of passed out people in the, the movie theater. But, but yeah, there, there are rules that they set up before the movie starts. Do you know what the thing of mm. my problem with drinking games is I, I'm drinking in between the drinks. Yeah. So what do I do? <laughs> It's like not even You're a defeating the purpose. It's not even a game at that point. Um, so three good things and um, a chat with Stumac and uh, three good things I have in the eight and nine o'clock hour of Sunday as well as roaming St. Louis and then I do my chat with Stumac on Sundays about six fifty. That's early. It's early, but it's it's well worth it's worth it. listening. We have a good time and. It's one of my new segments we've been doing the last few months. Stu's the best. He is. This theater sounds awesome. It is. The Arcaden Cinema and Bar on yeah. Gravoy. Yep. Make Depot sure you Mill. check it out. Awesome, man. Thanks, I, Scott. I think they do have a drinking game for the Grinch as well. I mean, not there, but oh, I think the there Grinch is a movie? drinking game. Yeah. I don't understand I hate, I hate why you hate that song. I don't know. I just I don't. I can't get my mind around that. Oh, I wouldn't touch you with a ten like, That's up, awesome! Stu, it's so bad. <laughs> I hate it. I'm going to listen to Drew over here. Thanks, Scott. All right, thanks. Scott J. Guy, we'll talk to you next Friday. Listen to him Sunday morning, uh, Three Good Things in Roaming St. Louis. It's Brad Young and Chris Ranji. Hour two, three, whatever, of the show is next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 